be taking up the reading this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to take up your Bibles there. And uh, the, <laughs> the last time I preached a sermon, I was on uh, preaching a catechism sermon on Lord's Day 10. And so we're going to go to Lord's Day 11 here, trying to stay with catechism preaching in the morning as uh, I've been directed uh, to as well. And we are going to, Lord willing, uh, start taking up what I was hoping to do, as the Lord willed. <laughs> Uh, a series on Abraham, a little bit late starting, but hopefully next week, Sunday night, we'll be able to do that. So we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3 with a focus on verse 15 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, and then look at Lord's Day 11 as well. Uh, my, my sermon title is staying the same. I'm just condensing from three points to two. Uh, the perfect Savior and the complete Savior are things that are gonna, I'm going to combine that. We're going to be looking at both the complete Savior and the only Savior as the true profession of Jesus Christ, and I'll explain that in the sermon why I did that. Uh, but we're going to read from that portion from God's Word, and then we'll look at Lord's Day 11. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, Swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of these two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And the focal point there is that 15th verse where it says, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That term, wise for salvation or, or wisdom for salvation, that's a phrase I'll use a lot in the sermon. Uh, if if uh, boys and girls are interested in finding out how many times I use it, and if that keeps you on pace in, in, in listening, uh, and somebody wants to let me know how many times I used it at the end of the service, Come and let me know that you're going to hear that term a lot and shouldn't be surprising because it's the focal point of our passage today. Lord's Day 11, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed and we're up to the point here where it says, I believe in God, uh, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus, his only begotten Son. But we're looking at that term, Jesus. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins. Salvation cannot be found in anyone else. It is futile to look for any salvation elsewhere. And question 30 says, do those who look for their salvation and security and saints in, in themselves or elsewhere really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Although they boast of being His, by their deeds they deny the only Savior and Deliverer, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in Him all they need for their salvation. We are thankful for God's truth. May they be a blessing to us this morning. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we first start in school and maybe even before that, uh, we come to learn our numbers and our letters, even, uh, and remarkably so sometimes, but we, we see that happening. I, I had a chance to see one of my nephews, and, you know, he's two years old, and, or nephew, one of my grandchildren, and one of my grandsons. And he's two years old, and he, he says, one, two, three, go, you know, and he's so proud. He knows up to three. Uh, we learn our numbers, and we learn our letters early. And you never get to a point in life where you say to yourself, well, you know, I don't need to know my numbers or letters anymore. You never get to the point where you say, boy, am I ever glad that I don't know what an N is anymore. Or, or boy, it's sure nice that I've passed by so I don't have to figure out what a 4 is and add it to 5. Now, learning my numbers is like pouring the base of my house. From my very childhood, I learned these letters and these numbers, and not just so I can have them then, but that so that I can continue to use them and use that knowledge for good things down the line throughout my life. Well, when it, when it comes to confessing God the Son incarnate as Jesus, meaning Savior, it's a confession that we hear from our passage today that's worth holding from childhood. 
You know, not just not just when you you're thinking that I'm 18, 19, 20. Yeah, it's a good time to start appreciating Jesus. No, it's a confession worth holding from childhood. Timothy learned it from childhood. And that reminds us on a day that we celebrate fatherhood that in our homes that that confession is worth teaching to our children from the outset. And that it's actually even more important than the ABCs and anything else that we're going to learn. Because apart from that truth, we're not saved from the penalty and the power of our sins, and we will not be, as the passage says, wise unto salvation. And then all the knowledge that we gain would be, a, a, like our passage also says, a learning without arriving at the truth of things. And it ends up leaving us, as the passage says, with a form of godliness, a facade, that's devoid of power to make a saved difference in our lives. Confessing Jesus as Savior and understanding what that means. Being made wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus by way of the Scriptures. That's one of the ABCs of the Christian faith. God the Son who became man did that, did so, in order that he would save his people from their sins. And that saving purpose is why he is appropriately named Jesus as the complete and only Savior there is for this sinful world in which we live. Whose name Jesus understood in this complete and solitarily saving manner is the profession of all true believers for their comfort and for the glory of God who alone can save his people. This profession, of course, may be fundamental and foundational. It can be something that children can understand. Timothy did. He learned it from his mother and his grandmother, from Eunice and from Lois. But this is not, by any length, clear in the minds of everyone. And that's why the Catechism approaches Jesus' name as it does, it writes as it does, about the completeness and perfection and uniqueness of Christ's saving work. The Jesus of Scripture, of the sacred writings, by which we become wise unto salvation, is often misunderstood. Often. So much so that people not only profess wrongly, but then, as Paul is telling Timothy here, lives are behaved wrongly in the latter days. Many might know the name of Jesus, Many might have heard of Jesus, but that doesn't mean that they're saved by Jesus. Savior though he is of his people, 
Because, and the reason is, is because the Bible's ignored or the Bible's misunderstood. And so this morning we're considering and reflecting a moment on the true profession of Jesus. And it includes the point that he is complete Savior and the only Savior. We find our spiritual comfort in this complete Savior and only in this Savior. So Jesus is the complete Savior. Now, adding the point that Jesus is the perfect Savior uh, wouldn't have been bad. <laughs> it wouldn't have been a Christian falsehood at all. I mean, even the catechism we hear here and in other places speaks about Jesus being a perfect Savior. And we could say that Jesus is a complete Savior because he's a perfect Savior. In a sense that we've heard earlier in the catechism that Jesus is truly righteous as God the Son incarnate. The one who is like us in every way, sin excluded, which is what we need in our Savior. We need a Savior who is completely obedient, good and loving as only Jesus Christ is as the perfect substitute for us, so that our sin could be atoned for completely as the last and perfect sacrificial lamb that he was. Indeed, the perfect, the perfection of Christ, according to the scriptures, is understood by the catechism. Christ's true righteousness sets us free from our sin, makes us right with God. And yet the focus here in the catechism about what we confess uh, biblically, speaks about the sufficient aspect of Christ's complete works. And, and that would, of course, include the moral character of his saving work, perfectly carried out, but the focus here falls on the result of that perfect work unto completeness. Namely, that the salvation of Jesus is all that we need, all that we need for our salvation. The older translation of the Catechism is explicit. He saves us from all our sins. Addressed, of course, in the first point of the Lord's Day, first Lord's Day, that he has fully paid for all my sins by his precious blood. Sufficiency, completeness, fullness. The catechism's right. That our only comfort in life and in death is found in this complete element of Jesus' saving work, a comfort that unbelieving people want to concoct with something or someone else that something else than Jesus or with Jesus, but a comfort which no one can have apart from viewing Jesus as the complete Savior. See, it's not that all people will fail to attribute some measure of salvation to Jesus. But it, such is not wisdom unto salvation. Apart from true faith, people fail to attribute to Jesus the fullness, the completeness, the sufficiency of salvation that makes Jesus worthy of the name Jesus. And that failure comes in a, a number of forms, and I, I wanted to just share a few of those. Uh, but it always... When they do this, what they do is exactly what Paul says that we should not do. They leave the sacred writings behind when they make these conclusions. It may come when people will say that Jesus is the one who makes salvation possible for everyone. But in actuality, he saves no one. 
Because the salvation accomplished is left to the decision of people to step forward, to make a decision for the possible Savior. And then in reality, you see, then salvation is left to one's ability to believe. And theoretically, though, in their so-called liberty to choose, everyone in their so-called liberty to choose could fail to step up. And no one would be saved by the possible Savior who's wringing his hands, hoping somebody will step up. But that's because all he did was to make salvation a possibility for everyone, but not a certainty for anyone. Jesus is not a complete Savior that way. Contrary to what Scripture says, that he is to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will. Of course, another way that this incompleteness can be seen is when Jesus is viewed as one whose righteousness is poured into people's lives so that they can merit their justification. They can, justification being that they can merit their, their right standing with God. And that, uh, that justification arrives in baptism first. But then it has to be reclaimed throughout our lives through the sacraments, merits of penance, and then afterlife, claiming merit from super saints who have an overabundance of merit to share with those of us who need it. So here, in that kind of an example, Jesus is viewed as the one who supplies initial merit, subsequent merit, but insufficient merit, and in essence, no salvation at all. Because it's not his righteousness that is credited to our account, right? That way we call imputation. So that we're saved fully in this life already. But it is his righteousness instead that allows us through a sacramental system to merit our own righteousness. To save ourselves, as it were. Or even to be saved at least in part from the merit of somebody else other than that of Jesus. That's not a salvation by Christ. That's a salvation by self. Or by mere humanity. Which, if we can save ourselves individually or by another mere human, then, then we really didn't need to be saved in the first place. Certainly not by God. At most, we might say that Jesus aids in our so-called salvation, but we are certainly not saved by Christ in a substitutionary or imputed way. We don't want to teach that to our children. And we don't want to teach that to our children because that's not the sacred writings teaching. That's not scripture teaching. Finding the aid of dead and disembodied saints more comforting than the risen, righteous, saving Jesus because we cower at his holiness is simply not being wise unto salvation. And you see, that's why this question gets asked in our catechism. Do those who look for their salvation and security in saints and the 
elsewhere truly believe in, in the only Savior? No, they don't. That's not wisdom unto salvation. Now, others may speak about Jesus as having, been, having justified them, but then they claim that there's a need to maintain their justification by what they do. Jesus is not a complete Savior that way either. He does the first part, and we do the last part. What happens there is that we end up confusing our sanctification from our justification. It makes good works a motive to be saved rather than the joy and gratitude of the saved. Others still claim that what Jesus' cross work does is that he just wipes the slate clean so that we have a second chance to save ourselves. Jesus isn't the Savior there either. He's just giving us a second chance to save ourselves. Some would simply like to say that Jesus is good, but that we need to supplement what Jesus does so that we can finish the work that needs to be done. Others would see that Jesus could be a useful person to follow. There are a lot of good people that we could follow. And what we ought to do is we should just take the good of all the religions and put them all in a religious soup, make kind of a melting pot of spiritual food that would not only do us good individually, but it would also allow us to get along as one big happy brotherhood of man and one big happy family of humanity. But that's not what Timothy was taught from the sacred writings. Scriptures make it clear to us that the salvation and security that we need for life and in death is to believe in a Jesus who saves us completely. That's wisdom unto salvation. We cannot find rest for our souls in a Jesus who can only do part of that saving God. Or who makes salvation just a possibility for us instead of a reality for us. We cannot find security in a Jesus whose best that he can give us in this life is that he can get us part of the way to God. <laughs> because if that is all we can get from Jesus, we've got nowhere when it comes uh, either to our standing with God nor when it comes to the power to overthrow Satan's tyranny in our lives of which Paul speaks in this passage. Because the best we can do then is... is, is is show a form of godliness devoid of its power. That's what Paul says here. Because when Jesus saves, he not only saves from the penalty of sin, he saves from the power of sin. Without a complete Savior, how can we believe in this life that either of these things has happened? If we cannot believe that either of these things have happened, then how can we believe that we're God's children, that everything's going to work for our salvation, and that we can live lives for a God with whom we are not right? How can we believe that we have the power to live lives that are worthy of God? How dare we? How, how could we possibly believe that when we're struggling against sin in this life and we fail, that we could ever have hope of our pardon of every sin? When Jesus is at best a possible Savior or a partial Savior, but he's not a full Savior of all that he's come to save, including me. 
See, Jesus isn't a partial Savior. And Jesus is not a possible Savior. He's an actual Savior. He's a full Savior. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And therefore, he is called Jesus. Not because he would like to save, but oh, he can't. And not because he helps with salvation, but because he's the Savior. That's what we remember with the communion supper of of which we partake. Such an assurance to us of that. It doesn't, partaking of that doesn't get us closer to that salvation. It proclaims the Christ who has saved. The very proclamation that the believer makes as he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. That's the true profession of Jesus to save us fully according to the scriptures which makes us wise unto salvation. Take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for complete forgiveness of all our sins. The true profession of Jesus is also that he's the only Savior. If, if nothing else can be added to the saving work of Jesus, then there is nothing that can save otherwise. Nor no one else who could save otherwise. And here, too, is the offense of the gospel in our modern day, isn't it? And it always has been, as Paul recognizes as he's persecuted as he is, and as he says the godly will be persecuted, and as he knows that Timothy has been persecuted, and, and as Timothy is is discouraged and and he's being called to encouragement in in the midst of the profession that he's made. Because the world likes the idea that everybody's going to be saved. And and the world likes that you know that today, you know. Every faith is fine. Group hug. But that, that outlook just cannot hold water. It's irrational. It's hypocritical, to be honest. And the reason that such an outlook doesn't hold water, irrational, even hypocritical, is that the moment, then, if you're going to say every profession fine, the moment that you profess the truth that Jesus is the only Savior, Well, that faith is not deemed to be fine. Wait a minute, I I thought every faith was fine. No, not that one. Not that one. Oh, we tolerate everybody. Oh, we're so tolerable. But we don't tolerate Christians. That's not deemed to be fine by the world. They claim every faith is fine, except that one. Can't have your cake and eat it too. That's irrational. It's hypocritical. Doesn't hold water. Now, now people have professions of faith about Jesus that appear to appreciate him. They'll believe that Jesus truly existed. They believe that Jesus is a good example to follow. Some would believe that, that Jesus came to save everybody or virtually everyone. Others would say Jesus as worthy of faith. Uh, it's so because they want him as a political savior or a financial savior or some other kind of material savior where he's going to make you rich 
or he will make you healthy, no questions asked. I know, I mean, we all know places that get packed with that kind of gospel that's preached. Now, are those who hold political office among those who belong to Jesus? Of course they're all. Do the material gifts we receive come to us through the hand of Jesus? Yes, they do. Do we pray for healing mercies? Of course we do. But for some, earthly power and prosperity is all that Jesus is good for. And for others, they're offended that Jesus could be the only way by which anyone would find a saving relationship with God, while others would simply say that they don't need that kind of a salvation. They've got better things to do. They've got their own kind of salvation that's tethered to a worldly view of power and prosperity and pleasure. That's their salvation. And yet the sacred writings by which we are made wise unto salvation would tell us that nobody comes to the Father except through the Son, that there is no name under heaven by which we can be saved except by the name of Jesus, God the Son incarnate. Isaiah tells us God is Savior and there's no other. Here is how he secures that unique, solitary salvation. God the Son comes into the world, sinners to say, as Emmanuel, as God with us. And he's given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We live in a world that considers such a soul salvation as lacking toleration and as an intolerable perspective. This is nothing new. This isn't just something that's happened now. This is is the way it's been as those who believe in Christ. And yet there's no offense found that salvation can be found in anything else that we want to believe. (laughs) Everything else is acceptable except Jesus alone, instead of believing that salvation is found in no one else and nothing else than Jesus alone. Why is that? It's a foolishness. You can be saved, whatever that looks like, apart from Jesus, whatever you believe. Can you imagine The world wants the church to proclaim the Jesus that it does. A Jesus that doesn't save alone, doesn't save at all, or is one of many options, not the only Savior. The Christian confession deems multi-option saviors as unwise unto salvation. It is not that Jesus is one of many. It is that Jesus is one and only. And people should be glad that there is a Savior. Not be mad. Not be mad at God and not be mad at Christians because apart from Christ, there is no Savior. Be glad for the mercies of God and, and how that impacts us who alone is strong and willing to save us in Jesus. You know, we can say all kinds of nice things about Jesus. But if we don't confess him as the complete and the only Savior, we deny him. 
And that's not wise. Not every faith is fine and true. True faith focuses on the Scripture that can make us wise unto salvation as we testify of God the Son incarnate named Jesus who alone and, and completely saves his people from their sins. That's the Jesus we need to know. That's the Jesus we need to confess. That's the Jesus that needs to be a priority in our home. That's the Jesus that fathers need to teach to their children. They can teach them all kinds of other things. But they better teach that Jesus is the only Savior. Because this Jesus of Scripture saves and gives rest for our souls. What wisdom? Unto salvation. When we believe that. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Father, we are grateful for the complete and full salvation of Jesus Christ. What a magnificent Savior that He is. Unique. No one like Him. Empowered to save, and he saved completely, solely. When we confess him, we are wise unto salvation according to the scripture. Help us, Lord, whether it's in this or any other thing that we un, uh, have to undertake in the Christian confession and in our lives, to crack open our Bibles, see what the scriptures say, and when we see what they say, whether it is in this matter of salvation or anything else, you might receive the praise from us and we might find rest for our souls, and particularly here now, as we talk about how it is that we're saved. Not by anything else, nothing else. No supplement to Jesus, but Jesus Christ alone. How grateful we are that you have provided such a Savior and such an opportunity for us to respond to the gospel so that it not only saves us, but we might live lives worthy of the gospel. Accept our prayers, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing number 383 as our...